0: Good morning. My name's Alicia McCullum, and I work here at the um, welcome team and also on the CARES team. Today's scripture is from Mark chapter 35 through 543, so bear with me. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side, leaving the crowd behind and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained, hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened when they came to jesus they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind and they were afraid those who had seen it told the people who had happened what had happened to the demon possessed man and told about the pigs as well then the people began to plead with jesus to leave their region as jesus was getting into the boat The man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but he said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell into Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. When Jesus had again crossed over by the boat to the other side of the lake, Your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they say. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to
1: God. Thank you, Elisha. Hey, if you get asked to read during the rest of the series, it will not be that long. <laughs> we have just started a series this last week on miracles of Jesus called Miraculous. And all of the miracles that we encounter as we walk through uh, the life of Christ and the Gospels, uh, they all teach us something about Jesus as our Lord. They also teach us about ourselves as human beings. They teach teach us about his followers. They teach us about all sorts of things in life as well. And this week, there are four of these miracles strung together in one story that Mark very very intentionally brings together for us. Now, of course, this is how it happened in the narrative, but New Testament authors are also being intentional about the story that they're telling when they're selecting the stories and they're stringing them together and what kind of details they include. And so Mark is telling us something through this story that he's sharing with us. Last week, as we started the series, we really zeroed in on the identity of Christ. Some men brought their friend to Jesus. He was a paralytic. They lowered him. Uh, through the floor through the ceiling down to where jesus was because they couldn't get in to be with him and he instead of healing the man of his paralysis at first he said son your sins are forgiven that taught us a lot about jesus and it taught us mainly about his identity because uh, the religious teachers said who has the right to forgive sins but god alone they were right in their assessment and Jesus proved, he backed up who he said he was and what he implied, who he implied he was by then healing the man in front of them all. So we learned about his identity, uh, which Jesus verified. And this week is similar, it really is this, almost an interchangeable theme in the sense that we're, we're looking at Jesus' authority. We're looking at his authority in many different places as he performs these miracles um, here in, in, in Mark chapter 4 and 5. So Jesus is, is really, he's escaping the crowds when he gets on the boat. The first story, if you recall, they were, in, they were in the storm. They were in the storm. It was several minutes ago when we heard this, so just bringing it back to your attention. They were in a storm on the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus is asleep, which is very strange given that this storm must have been, it must have been amazing, a big storm. Because there was this, they, they called it, Mark calls it a furious squall. It, it was it was a bad storm. That same terminology we may not like identify with. What's a furious squall? Is that a big storm? Is that a little thing? That that can also get translated in other places to be something like a hurricane. And um, there's actually a painting of this scene in, in the gallery right now. If you uh, are, are, have been with us for any length of time, you may realize that every single month there's a new art display that comes up out in the gallery, which is great. It's really fun. It's a, a chance, too, to be part of a, like the community art scene here, local artists and stuff like that. We get to experience what they've been creating. So they have these art displays out here. If you go out this door and look sharp to the right, there is a depiction of this very story. Jesus, uh, on the sea, me the storm, on the Sea of Galilee, and uh, it's really a wild scene. They're, he's on a boat with several professional fishermen who made their whole living spending hour upon hour upon hour out on the Sea of Galilee. And it says they were terrified in this storm. They were frightened. They were fearing for their lives as they see this storm and as they face the storm in the boat. And uh, this is an area that's known. It's it's known for sudden and uh, sudden storms to come upon the Sea of Galilee because it's it sits seven hundred feet below sea level, and the, it sits in a basin because the mountains surrounding the Sea of Galilee, reach up to 9,000 feet above sea level. So there's a big difference, and what can happen is the cool air and the warm air, they collide, and we know what happens. It can create big thunderstorms and, and strong waves, furious squalls, if you will. And uh, that's, that's what's going on. Now, I don't know if you've ever been on a boat in a storm, but it can be terrifying. Um, when I was growing up, my, my dad had a fishing boat, which actually, when he moved to a place, California, the place of zero inland lakes, he 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 let me have it. So I now have the fishing boat. It's about 17 foot Crestliner. It's a, you know, it's a it's a nice boat, but it's not a huge boat, and it's really great for inland lakes. But we used to push the envelope a little bit. And we would take it out salmon fishing on Lake Michigan. I mean, this little boat with downriggers, it did not look equipped, but we were able to get it done. We caught some really nice fish out there. But there was one time where we were out on Lake Michigan, I think we were doing some trout fishing, and a very sudden and furious squall came up on us, and we were not paying close enough attention. By the time we realized we needed to take the boat in, there were boats lined up at the launch, ready to come out ahead of us. So we knew we had to kill some time. So by the time we were trying to get the boat in, the waves were just just nailing the boat up against the, uh, the side of the dock and it was a very dangerous situation and it really the most afraid I've ever been on the water before in my life. Fortunately, we made it out just fine. Um, maybe just, just one incident happened where um, my dad's friend who used to fish with us It was when Gore-Tex was, like, the new thing, you know? It was, like, everyone was buying Gore-Tex stuff, and he had a full Gore-Tex suit, and we're trying to get this boat out of the water, and somehow, through the leaning and trying to grab on the poles, he ended up falling into this, like, 50-degree Lake Michigan water. And um, he went underwater, and then he popped back up and said, don't worry, I'm wearing Gore-Tex. It was an amazing moment. Uh, He was known for his quick wit. Uh, But it was a scary time, but that moment... um, you know, give us a little levity in the midst of it. These guys were afraid for their lives because you're out on a small boat in a furious squall. Anything can happen. So they are just terrified for what's going to happen to them. But in the midst of this, they wake up Jesus. He got up, it says in verse 39, he got up. He rebuked the wind, said to the waves, quiet, be still. And the wind died down. It was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. They obey his authority. Jesus has authority over nature. He is demonstrating this to his disciples. Mark is demonstrating this to us. Jesus has authority over nature. Next what happens is he, they land on shore and there's a man waiting for him. And he must have been a strange sight because he had been... Away from people for a long time. He's demon possessed, as we find out in the story. And in our culture, we don't think a lot about evil spirits in Western culture, but there are many cultures around the world who do. And the ancient world certainly did, recognized the, the presence of evil spirits and, and saw their activity. Um, but there is an enemy who's active. Regardless of whether or not we see a lot of supernatural type of activity, we need to understand that there is an enemy who is active. And his best strategy, I believe, in the West is to remain covert. So this man that we see is dominated by evil spirits. We may not see something appear in this way in our current context, but that's because our enemy knows to stay hidden. Here's what C.S. Lewis said in the introduction to his book, The Screwtape Letters. He says, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence... The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased, the devils, by both errors and hail a materialistic or a magician with the same delight. We may not have many outward uh, uh, magicians in our culture who are using dark spirituality, but we have many, many uh, uh, various materialists. And probably one lives in each of our hearts uh, now because we there is an enemy who is at work telling us lies and, and getting a hold of people's hearts. So that this man has an outward demon possession. and Mark chapter five, verse four, it said he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the, tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. So people had tried. That's another common thing here. People had tried to deal with it. The disciples had tried to um, you know, steer the boat and get out of the storm. This, the other people had tried to chain this man and control him, but no one could subdue him. Verse 12, as Jesus interacts with, with this legion, as he finds out, legion of demons that are, are presiding within this man, uh, he ends up sending them into the, a, a large herd of, per, uh, of pigs that was feeding on the nearby hillside. Um, and the demons begged Jesus, send us into the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission. And the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. So that's what he does. He casts them out and he exercises. Jesus has authority over the spiritual realm. He exercises that authority. So Jesus has authority over nature. Secondly, Jesus has authority over the spiritual realm. Now these next two stories, they overlap a bit. Jairus, who's a synagogue leader, he comes and he asks Jesus desperately to come and to save his daughter who is sick and dying but in the midst of Jesus going and walking with him to, to see the girl, he is interrupted by a woman. As he's walking through a crowd that's pressed against him, a woman intentionally touches him with the desire to be made well. And when she does this, Jesus senses that, that there's been power that has left him, and so he draws attention to that. His disciples are like, what are you talking about? There's people all around. Of course someone touched you. He goes, no, not like that. Somebody touched me, and there's power that has drawn out from within me. It says she had suffered. Uh, a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. So again, there's people trying to fix this problem. There's other people who have intervened, have tried to get themselves in the midst of this circumstance and tried to bring her relief, but it's only made things worse. She hasn't gotten better, and so she's been chronically sick for years and years. He said to her, so I think as he turns and says, who touched me? She's probably... Like, a little bit nervous at that point. Like, I just got caught. Like, I thought I was going to get away with this. No one would know. She senses that she's been made better. But Jesus stops. He's like, who just did that? She, She owns up to it. And then he looks on her compassionately. He says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Jesus demonstrates here his authority over disease. Jesus has authority over disease. We spend a lot of time in our world... Uh, trying to overcome disease, as, as I think we should. And so well, there's a lot of people in the medical professions uh, doing various types of research and practice and trying to bring people relief. And yet there's still so many things about the human body, the way that our bodies work, that is a mystery, uh, even, to, even to modern science and, and, and medicine. Sometimes things work in treatment, sometimes things don't. Jesus demonstrates a complete authority here over disease. Now once the woman is set, and when she is healed, uh, the, there's bad news that comes to the convoy that's traveling with Jesus. They, they find out through an announcement that while Jesus was even still speaking with the woman, some people came from the house of Jairus, it says in verse 35, the synagogue leader, your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? And overhearing what they said, so they're saying this off to the side, Jesus hears them, he says, don't be afraid. He says this to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. And he walks with this, this daughter's father who had just gotten this news the rest of the way to the home. It says he only brought with him a few of his disciples, his closest one, Peter, James, and John. And they come and they attend with them and they get to the home and there's all sorts of commotion going on. Now what would happen in this, in this time period when someone, when someone passes away in a village, what they would tend to do, this was a cultural thing, they would actually hire professional mourners to come to the site, to come to the home. And this was, this was just a part of the process. These professional mourners would have various songs and, and they would wail and make all sorts of noise and it would be an alert to the community that something has happened. And so there's people who are there mourning, who knew the family, who knew the girl p- perhaps. And there's also professional mourners there, which also explains why in the midst of this passage, when Jesus says, she's not dead, she's just asleep, some people laugh. That was probably the professional mourners a little bit disconnected from this circumstance um, and, and, you know, stepping into it. So they, they go from, from mourning to laughing very quickly. Um, and so Jesus approaches, he comes to this place, and, and they laugh. He breaks through all of that. He's, he takes the little girl by the hand. He's private, up just with his followers. Um, he takes her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. So he, he brings this girl back from death. So Jesus demonstrates his authority, not just over sick, sickness and disease, but also over death here in this moment. So Jesus has authority over nature. his has authority over the spiritual realm. He has authority over disease. And Jesus has authority over death. Now there's, again, some general themes. It seems like others were unable to manage the situation. Jesus steps in and immediately manages each one of these situations. Also, all of the people who experienced each one uh, displayed some sort of awe or amazement at what Jesus had done and accomplished in each situation. And again, Mark linked these stories up on purpose. And his overarching theme, as he brings these four stories of healing, of of miraculous work of Jesus together, his overarching theme is that Jesus has the authority to do what only God can do. Jesus has the authority to do what only God can do. There are different responses in stories, even though there's some commonality, there's different responses, and there's some negative responses. We see here in this story that there's negative responses to what Jesus does to his miraculous healings, and there are negative responses to all sorts of other things that Jesus does that, uh, that are miraculous uh, in other places. We see that, G- that Jesus gets responses from other people, maybe secondary responses. Usually it's not the, the person involved that responds negatively. It's other people around. So sometimes he's healing, and they, he, they're like, yeah, you're healing on the wrong day. Today is the Sabbath day. You're not supposed to be doing stuff like that on the Sabbath day. So people come at him with indignation. They come at him with resentment, with resistance. They reject him sometimes. They Sometimes they feel depleted by him because like with the, the, the pigs, you know, this community really responded negatively to that, probably because there was a loss involved for the community. They tell him to leave the area. So that maybe they feel depleted by him. They, some of them feel belittled by him. Right after this passage, if you keep reading in, in the Gospel of Mark, he goes back to his hometown and they're like, what do you think? You're better than us? Uh, and and they, they have this sort of stance with him, and they, they really don't want anything to do with him, so they feel belittled by him. Some feel threatened by him and his teaching. We see that all throughout his ministry, threatened by his actions, his miracles, his teaching as he carries out life. That's a lot of times it's religious teachers who are who are reacting in that way by, by feeling threatened. And the question for us is what are our secondary reactions to the authority of Christ in this world and in our lives? What, is our, what are our reactions to him? Luke chapter 4, Jesus really gives a great mission statement for what he came to do. I'm going to pick it up in verse 14. This is in his hometown of Nazareth. He returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about Jesus spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth Jesus steps into the situation. He reads from this really important verse in the book of Isaiah. And then he says, this has now been completed in, in your presence. And he sits down. Everyone's locked in on him. They're all watching him. So he says, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is stepping in and he's saying, I am the Messiah. I have come with the authority that God gives, with the authority that only God has. And he comes to our world with this authority. And that's what he brings to us as well. He brings this type of authority to us on an individual basis. And so we need to understand what is our reaction to Jesus' authority in our lives. Do we push back against it? Do we receive and invite his authority in our lives and over our lives? How do we respond to him? In our culture, in our world today, in in the West, authority is sort of a bad word. And sometimes it's for good reason. We've seen... Many people abuse authority. And so we have to be careful. We have to be careful with giving anyone any sort of ultimate authority. We have to make sure that we're testing the character and not just, uh, not just the competencies of people that we put in charge and give positions of authority. Um, and at the same time, we also need to be willing to receive authority in our lives when it's healthy. Authority is put there and structures are put there for good reason. Parents over children, bosses over employees, government over citizens. Those things are there for good reason. And so uh, we're challenged by even, by even by Jesus for the reasons that we uh, turn away from authority. Sometimes the reason that we turn down authority and reject authority in our lives is, really comes down to our own pride and desire for autonomy. And I think we all wrestle with that. We live in a very individualized society where we want to be in charge of our own situations and I understand that urge there is that part of me when I see a rule and I see a sign some people are rule followers some people are not such rule followers I'm in the latter category believe it or not if I see a sign and I don't understand why that sign is there it really makes me want to do it it's like hey there's a there's a line here there's a little fence do not cross the line I'm like why why what happens if I do this you know and I just want to test the boundary Uh, and and a lot of us are built that way I think it comes from our individualized society and culture that we have been brought up in Jesus challenges us at that point and especially when it comes to his authority but there are a few signs for us of if we're going to have problems with how we receive Jesus' authority it's usually going to be reflected in other areas too And when we're receiving rightly Jesus' authority, that's also gonna get reflected in other areas of our life. And here's what I mean. So signs of authority issues. One would be when we are sinning willfully and we're not showing a desire to stop. That is when we know at that point in time we are having an authority issue, an authority battle with Jesus in our lives. When we're willing to do something we know he doesn't want us to do and we're not really willing to say, I'm gonna stop doing that. And so when we see that pattern, of sin in our lives, that's a, that's a time to just say, stop. What, what, what is going wrong here in my understanding of who Jesus is and what role he's supposed to play in our lives? And again, there's no, no condemnation in that statement. We go through these seasons as people. And when we can realize those things, we really experience growth and next level of spiritual, of spiritual growth in our lives. When we're willing to see those, call them out, ask for accountability, and repent. Bring those to Jesus in turn, in a different direction here's another one that's maybe a little bit more subtle and this this goes back to what I was just saying about our culture and even about my own bent as a rule challenger uh, is rejection of, of other healthy authority figures in your life that would be that would be a sign of maybe maybe I'm not responding well to authority in general and that probably will impact your relationship with your lord because as he's trying to call you into things, you may you may have an overly critical or questioning spirit in the midst of that. So when you when you have healthy like people who have not uh, had you know given you direct cause to reject their authority in your life, but you sense yourself pushing back against that, there's probably something out of whack in in your ability to receive authority. Uh, through, throughout the course of your life, and that probably impacts your relationship with your Lord. Here's another one. Just take about the authority aspect. How are, you, how are you doing at being able to give deference to other people? We are innately selfish people because <laughs> we're human. We're broken. And a lot of times what happens is we have, we have peer-to-peer relationships or in our marriages or in our friendships where sometimes we have an inability to defer to another person and to give that person the choice. In those situations, we probably have an authority issue. On the other hand, we may have trouble working up the voice to speak in a situation where we only defer all the time. That's also unhealthy in our relationship patterns. And so we need to find that healthy balance and, in those types of situations. All of these things still relate every single part of our humanity, of our personality, of, our, uh, of who we are as a, as a human being. All of those things impact. We carry them into our relationship with Jesus. So sometimes these types of situations we need to deal with, we need to go back and we need to deal with some of these circumstances in our life in order to be rightly related to our Lord and Savior Jesus. He comes into our world, he demonstrates an authority that only God can possess. And what we need to ask ourselves is, are we willing to lay down what we feel we have the right to have authority over in our lives and to give it to him and say, I will follow you no matter what. If it's convenient, no matter if it's easy, no matter if it feels good, if, if all of those things, put all that aside, I will follow your authority because I'm, I'm allowing you to have that authority in my, in my life. Now Jesus could, he could pull out the, the card just like he did in all these stories and say, I have authority whether you give it to me or not, but he wants us to surrender to him willingly. And so that's what he offers to us, a relationship where we can experience life the way it was really designed to be. But in order to do that, we have to lay down some of our preferences. We have to, we have to go that direction. And we think about these authority structures, it makes me just think of, of a child. You know, there's, there's things that a kid wants to do that are not safe or right for them to do, not good for them to do. My kids would probably have candy for dinner if they got to call all the shots you know, maybe a small enough child, they might want to play in the street. And if we just let our kids do these things, it would not be good for them. It would not lead to their thriving, right? It would not lead, lead to them becoming the person that we know they can and should be. And our Heavenly Father looks down and sees us. And as, as much as we want to say we're sophisticated and we have things figured out, and we understand we're a lot like a little kid. Sometimes we do stuff that we know is not good for us. Because we feel like it. We can't put, put those restraints on. But if we surrender to the authority of our Father, then he knows what, what we need in order to get to a place of thriving in every area of life. So if you're wrestling with this, maybe you've been considering whether or not following Jesus is, is worthwhile, worth your time, or something you even want to do, or something that you should do. Today could be a day for you to settle that. Or maybe you've been following Christ your whole life. And my news for you is that we all still have more areas where we need to turn authority over to Christ in our lives. Every single one of us. So regardless of where we're at, today can be a day where we invite him to take more control. We invite his authority over our preferences, over our lives, where we surrender to him, where we say, my reaction to your exercise authority is, is going to be one of, rec- of receiving and, and just being grateful for your authority in my life, because you are my Lord. So let's pray and just spend a time of reflection as we think about the role that we are offering to Jesus in our lives, because he needs to be in first place, for even for our own thriving. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you came to this earth, that you demonstrated your identity, like we saw last week, that you are the true Son of God, that you are God incarnate in our presence. That Jesus, we can trust you because of who you are. Because of your faithfulness. Because of your perfection. Because of your power. We can trust you. Lord, I thank you that you came and you demonstrated authority over every realm. The physical realm. Nature. The spiritual realm. Sickness and disease. Even death. And you demonstrated authority by raising this little girl but you also demonstrated victory over death by being raised on the third day as you predicted. Jesus, you have all authority. And yet when it comes to our lives and our walk with you, our relationship with you, you ask us to give you authority. And Lord, just by way of communal confession this morning, I just, I confess, we confess that we hold back the willful surrender to you in our lives, every day. Somehow we still buy into that first lie in the garden that we could make better gods for ourselves than you. And Lord, we know that that's not true intellectually. Help us to know it in our hearts and our spirits. Lord, thank you for your word, your word that needs to go out to every tribe, tongue, and nation. Thank you for the work that Dr. Dadak is doing and many others who are tirelessly working at getting your word to people around our country or around the the world, around this planet. Lord, we just pray that your word would go out and that would transform lives, that would transform our world, a broken world that desperately needs your peace. Lord, help us to surrender to you. I just think about the the people in this room and the interactions that we have throughout the course of a, a single week. And if we walked every moment of that, surrendering our lives and our authority to your authority, Jesus, how we could transform a community in a short time. Again, Lord, we confess that sometimes we are resistant to that. We are resistant to your authority in our lives. We lay down our sins. Lord, we repent. Help us to walk closely with you. Help us to desire your authority, because that's really what it'll take to be in a place of thriving in our lives. Help us to worship you with every moment, every breath. Lord, help us to recognize you as Savior and Lord our lives. We love you. We trust you,
0: Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray.